Welcome back to another Black Window Cream podcast, new episode every single Wednesday and Sunday. I'm your host, Ben Haggerty, a.k.a. Ben Realverse World. Now, normally on Sundays, we release one-on-one interviews with industry-leading creatives, but this quarantine shit is fucking everything up. Now, we want to respect the social distancing rules and stay away from one another, so for the time being, we present to you our new segment called Quarantine and Chill. For each episode, I call up a few of my creative homies to see how they're holding up during this lockdown and squeeze some creator tips and advice out of their brain to give back to all of you at home listening. And, uh, <laughs> all right, all right, let's stop playing those fucking stupid ass intro. Darren, will you please drop that beat so I can get more serious? Today, we have the legendary director, king of social bite-sized content and past podcast guest, Ari Ferroy. Ari has worked with brands like Coachella, Nike, Netflix, Adidas, Red Bull, and a ton of celebrities. In today's episode, Ari shares some behind-the-scenes information on how he created a promotional video for Will Smith's latest film, Gemini Man, as well as how he made a video series for Tom Brady. Next up, we have Miranda McDonald. Miranda is a professional photographer who has shot artists like Shawn Mendes, Julia Michaels, Childish Gambino, Nick Jonas, and many, many others. Today, we chat about her experiences doing merchandise photo shoots for David Dobrik, aka one of the biggest YouTubers in the world, her opinion on touring versus covering music festivals, and a tip on how to challenge yourself weekly during this quarantine. And lastly, we have past podcast guests and one of the most iconic tutorial legends on YouTube, Justin Odisho. Justin is best known for creating educational videos about photo and video editing, giving deep dives into Adobe products like After Effects, Premiere, and Photoshop. Today, we discuss how he values metrics on his channel, which currently has over 70 million views, the challenge of gaining subscribers, and some advice for YouTubers when it comes to creating highly engaging content. This episode is absolutely packed with motherfucking bangers. We hope that you enjoy these conversations today, but if you want to support Black Window Cream, do us a favor, text a link to this episode to a creative homie that you think will benefit from hearing this episode and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you are listening to. We appreciate that so much. If you want to take it a step farther, go drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, every review helps, obviously. I don't have to give you this spiel. All right, cool. If this is your first time tuning in the podcast, you are probably wondering, what the fuck is Black Window Cream? Great question. Black Window Cream is the illest educational resource for content creators fueled by caffeine. Or at least I take my coffee, Black Window Cream, but you can drink or not drink whatever caffeine you fuck with and still be a part of our community. We have thousands of members from all around the world working together by sharing content, asking for feedback, passing tips and tricks along to one another with the goal of pushing each other to become the best motherfucking content creators on earth. And you can join our private group if you want to by going to bwnc.com slash join. We would love to fucking have you. Please join. Ladies and gentlemen, guess who's in the house today? Ari What's up, dog? What's up, man? Yo, you know, just we out here doing the same thing everyone else is doing, staying away from people. How you been? <laughs> I'm good. I'm actually, I just moved into a new house. Oh, this congratulations. Right now. Hell yeah. Nice. Yeah, my, 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 um... It's such a weird time, but yeah, my girlfriend and I just bought a house like a month ago, <laughs> and then like we moved in, and then lockdown started. So it's kind of been like a weird moment, yeah. But also, it's been really nice because we've just been like packing and unmoving, unpacking, moving, buying stuff, sending everything up. So it's been nice, right? That's awesome, good dude. Congrats! Yeah. A house, a house is probably the the next move on my on my agenda if I can figure it out. I feel like out here is just such a random place to buy a house. <laughs> Right. It's, it's You're still a, in Hollywood? Yeah. 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 It's been cool. But how, okay. Here's my question, bro. What, what have you been doing? Cause your, your presence on Instagram is just rare. 
It's a rare reoccurring <laughs> thing. Where have you been? What's going on with you? You know, you know, it's funny. Every year, I usually take off a few months anyway. Like mm-hmm. even last, like always, my first post of the year is always like in April. That's always how it is. Right. Um, just because I like I'm exhausted by the end of the year. So like to start the year, I kind of like take my time getting back into things, experiment with new techniques, all that stuff. Um, but I'm 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 working on a new a new new video, a new passion project. Mm. Um, will be posted soon. I was working on, I mean, usually Coachella is like the first thing of the year kind of. Right. Cause I'm working on that. Like sometimes as early as March this year, I actually had a bigger project for them. Um, like, a, uh, I was working on a short film for them, like kind of like a recap video. Right. And that I was working on that. We were working on that from last summer, like summer 2019. That's how long that's been going on. Holy shit. So I was working on that January, February, March. And then obviously once everything kind of hit and the festival got postponed, that kind of like, it took me a few weeks to like figure out what to do with that in terms of like video creation. Like, cause I was putting so much effort into that. Um, but it took a few weeks off and then kind of slowly started like just playing around on, on the computer and, and put something together. Wow. Damn. I didn't even think about that. I forget that you have a massive hand in the Coachella social game. You know what I mean? So that's yeah. going to be a big, so right now everyone's just on standby, right? At Coachella is it, is it, or is it officially like canceled for the year? Still on standby. I think still October is kind of the updated, you know, like there's two weekends in October, but it's just like, who, who knows? We'll see. Yeah, Crazy man. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to take this time cause I feel like, uh, obviously everyone, I'll tell everyone to check out the interview cause the story is awesome uh, up to the point. And so much has happened since then. And I think right. that'd be cool to kind of highlight some of the projects that, uh, you've shared most recently. Um, two being the Gemini one that you did with Will Smith and then also your Tom Brady more the recent Tom Brady work that you did that was like the, a just the illest bite size shit. You just make the best bite size <laughs> shit. It's a piece of pie, man. I love it. Um, but can we I, I, let's talk about the Gemini Man one because I thought that was yeah uh, that was par- you did at Paramount Pictures, right? Yeah. So that was um, that was me and, and Annie Cash Bunny. We um, we were there at Paramount for it was like a test screening of the movie. Like it was the first time that the producers and the creators had like shown any part of the movie to audiences oh, wow. and they only, they didn't even have the whole movie done. It was just like three segments that they had done that they just wanted to kind of show and get an idea of like what people thought. So after that was done, Annie and I, we had about like 15 minutes, 20 minutes with will to create whatever we wanted. We decided to do a promo for the movie. Actually like they didn't, his team didn't ask us to do that. Mm. And so as I feel like always with Will's content, we came up with a pretty much like the morning of, like we we didn't really have that much time to prep for it, but we knew, um, I think like the morning of, like three hours before that is when we really started to figure out like what we wanted to do. <laughs> um, Were you already and there? We ended up, go ahead. Were you already at Paramount, like kind of scoping, or did you guys just start brainstorming from home? We got, we, we were on the phone in the morning and we were like, what do we do? And actually one thing we talked about was when we first shot with Will at Coachella, which was I think five months earlier, um, this obviously was all 2019. There was one thing we wanted to do where, um, there would be different wills that were interacting with each other. We didn't know what that was going to be. And we kind of did a version of that with the video with Will and Jada, but 
I think the original plan for that Coachella piece was to have more of him like talking to different wills and like interacting, but it's just because of the time constraint that we had with him at Coachella, we just were not able to do that. Like we only had like two minutes with them. Two minutes. But we figured with fifteen we figured with fifteen minutes we we could do something, you know, a little bit crazier. So we kind of slowly like it was like piece by piece we started building out what we wanted to do and then we figured like the first few steps were like we figured we want to promote the movie that he's coming out with. We would have a few of him. Then once we got to the venues when we really started to like plan out what was gonna happen. And then literally during the um screening annie and i were like on our phones writing the script out like literally just 20 minutes before we were about to shoot with them so we wrote out the script wrote out the back and forth all the actions and then like as always it was like 10 minutes 15 minutes with them going over the idea shooting and then like we were kind of done with it so did you there was there time to make examples of it because i know for coachella you told the story of how you were able to show them like an example of what you would do right. with them. and so they got the, you know that it was clear for them obviously by now they know you more so so he could probably take your lead on it but did you have any mocks made up um not specifically but we we've done that effect the character duplication effect so often that like and especially will again like he's such a he knows everything He's such a pro, like even the technical aspect of shooting visual effects, he's done it so many times that like, even on this way smaller scale, he still understands it. So he understood the general concept, his team understood the concept. And then like, as you said, like that was the third collaboration we'd done right. um, last year. So like they kind of trusted us to lead it and, and pull it off. Right. So what were some of the challenges that you ran into outside of just making sure the script made sense? And then and executing was it was it pretty smooth or because I noticed that you had BTS where you're you're standing in place of where Will will be or maybe uh, Cash Bunny was standing in place so you guys could kind of pitch the dialogue to each other. What were some right. of the challenges? Yeah, um, honestly, the biggest challenge was we were shooting like at Paramount like studio, so there was like a shit ton of people. So. Mm. A big thing was just making sure, especially with that type of effect, you need as clean of a background plate as possible. So just making sure that like the noise levels was good, that there was no one in our shot. That was kind of the biggest challenge. Otherwise, again, like we've done that effect so many times and we've, we've been in that like super fast paced style of shooting so many times that we're kind of more used to like having to pitch an idea in 30 seconds and then go over script in like a minute and then shoot in like three minutes. Like that part we're used to. Right. And Weird, for, weirdly enough for people who are wondering how you did it or how you shot it. Um, what was, what was the gear you used? Cause I think people will be surprised on what you probably captured this with. Yeah. So to do that, we used, I'm actually forgetting which one it was. It was a 360 camera. It's Cash Bunny's 360 camera. I usually use the GoPro Fusion, but I think she had the Insta One or like right. one of those versions. Yeah. And we could have done it with, we didn't really need to do with the 360 camera. I think it just gave us a little bit more. Because obviously all the, all the movements were digital. So the fact that we had, that we could pan as wide as we wanted that was kind of why we went with it. I'm sure a fisheye probably could, or like a super wide angle could have been right. good, but, um, but we went 360 and kind of like, and yeah, just all those, all those movements were, were digital. The camera was just on a tripod all the time. Was, was the audio from the, from the 360 camera? Um, the audio was, 
there were like so many cameras because also his team was doing BTS. As always, Westbrook, Will Smith's team always does BTS. So we actually got one of their video guys that had a Rode microphone set up on the DSLR to just like record audio for us. Oh, wow. Um, we probably could have used the, the built-in mic, but I think it was a little bit cleaner. Once we like compared, it was a bit cleaner to do the um, the road mic. That's dope. So then, yeah. so you so you get it all shot, you package it, you guys start editing. Uh, you guys are wizards, so I'm interested to know how long it took you to complete the edit and then from, <laughs> from the time you finished shooting to the time it dropped online. Right. We're able to do some crazy stuff, but that doesn't mean it takes like, like two days. That, right. that took us, again, I want to say a week, but like nonstop for a week. Wow. And usually the way um, Annie and I edit is if we're in the same room, then like we, I mean, it kind of depends because we usually break stuff off. So like I'll do a lot of the masking and she'll do the camera moves and like I'll do cleanup and then she'll do some of the like direct, like we kind of break it up based on what our skill sets are and also what we enjoy doing. Like I love to mask and like rotoscope, it takes forever, but like, it's just so easy for me to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, and all the camera moves, that was all her. Cause she was very good at like getting it to look as realistic as possible and adding motion blur when needing. And like, it's not just position moves. It's also sometimes adjusting the scale, adjusting the rotation. Mm-hmm. Like when naturally, like when you pan the camera, there's a little bit of rotation on your arm. So, right. um, so yeah, we broke it up and usually I work in the mornings until like the evening she usually starts in the evenings and works till like 3 a.m 4 a.m so it was kind of just like back and forth back and forth and and we'll work on a project file i'll send it to her she works on that project file saves it sends it back to me and we kind of go that way right which for people who don't know who cash bunny is we've had her on here too shout out to you you're the reason we know about her and now she's literally like a common reoccurrence in this podcast all the time nice i love i love annie (laughs) she's great um so okay so he post. When did he post it? Because was there? An, did they have like a timeline goal because the movie wasn't done yet, or were they already starting to do promo for the film at that point in time? Is that why you came up with the idea to do kind of a teaser for the film? Right. Um, so I think we shot it in August. Well, I don't remember what the dates were, but we shot it. We edited it for a week, and then it was released. I think three weeks later, when they were really starting to push Gemini Man. Right. Um, and again, I think the reason we chose to promote the movie is we knew we wanted him to talk about something. I think that's where it started. Is like, ooh, he should talk with himself and like and interact with each other and this and that. But like, we were like, what do we? What like? What is he going to talk about though? Like, right. is he going to talk about all the movies he's been in, or he can talk about how hot it is, or like whatever? And then we realized it kind of just worked out well that like, okay, let's just have him talk about the movie and promote it and whatever. Right. And so. Um, yeah, I remember we were sitting on it for a bit until it came out. So I think it was about three or four weeks until they posted. Have you found that, like, from doing that, I mean, that's an incredible asset for a movie, like a network to have access to. For Paramount to have that piece of content on Paramount, which is, I feel like, usually pretty hard to jump through the hoops to get permission to shoot on, on a lot. Uh, right. But for them to have that type of content, have you found other, Have you, has anyone else hit you up since this has come out to, like, for collaboration in the future with, um, movies like that. Cause like, I know cash had that one piece, uh, for it that she did where all right. the planes were flying in the sky, which is yeah. for films. And before, before, I mean, commonly it would always just be movie trailers on TV 
and posters on billboards and whatnot. But now it's like you have this access for Instagram and bite-sized content that people could deliver. Have you found that to be something that you've been hit up for since making that? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, what's funny is there were a couple opportunities specifically what they wanted was during production of a movie or a TV show, what they were thinking is having me go on set. And then while we have access to actors and actresses in their costumes and outfits and with the backgrounds, all that stuff during takes, like shoot something with them while on set Mm. to use later to promote the show. Right. Um, which I never really thought of having any connection with the Gemini man post, although I guess it does to a certain extent. Um, to me, I always just like with festivals, that's like what we do. Like that's what I've been doing for years is essentially shooting with the shooting with artists while they're like at a location and then using it to promote their performance or whatever it is. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a new, a new opportunity that hasn't really existed much. Um, and there's definitely a lot of potential for it. That is cool. Um, all right, shifting gears. Uh, Tom Brady mm-hmm. made some some stuff with the goat himself. It's mm-hmm. it, 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 the clips that you made are it's cool because it feels so simple. Like it's so simple, but then there's so much complexity to it. Especially the one where he's throwing the ball to himself and you're following the ball's path, uh, which I felt similar to like the um, was it Callaway? Was that the yeah. That was so actually was that the, the same, I used for that. Was it the same team that did the animation for the football and everything like that? No, actually, I went with a different CGI artist, a young kid from in, that's in college who had reached out to me for a while and then like kind of figured out that was kind of a good thing for him to kind of get some practice on. That's cool. But um, yeah, the Callaway, that was actually one of the references I used. I, I knew I wanted to do something like that, but I wanted to kind of like heighten it a little bit more. And creating, because the Callaway one just had a simple loop. It was just a boomerang, which is like the simplest way you can create any type of loop. Right. Um, So the challenge with that was, yeah, like how do I get it to start back to the beginning, but not just like reverse, but like keep going. And that was actually, even with the Callaway video, one idea I had for that was once we follow the ball up in the air, um, like the camera pans, the ball passes by and then we follow it to go down into the hole, like yeah. hole in one. Yeah. But that like was way too complex for that specific shoot. Right. But this was kind of me getting that same approach out, obviously with a, with football instead of, instead of golf. Yeah. So how did, how did this all come to be? How, how did, you know, the shoot come to be with Tom and everything, the relationship there, but for, it's a similar situation, you know, you have Will who found out about you and through that one opportunity that you had now trusts you and allows you to come in and do your thing. Uh, this just seems you're such a beast and the level of it for Tom to just randomly flex an Ari video on his Instagram is so out of nowhere. You know what I mean? So it's so dope to see that. How did that come to be? Yeah. So that was a crazy one. Cause also if you remember, I'm from Boston and I'm right. a huge sports fan, huge Pats fan. So that was a crazy DM. That was the craziest DM I've got. It wasn't from him. It was from Gilad, who we both know yeah. from shadow line, a production company in Boston. Yep. They shoot all of it. They shoot all of Tom's stuff. Um, they do all of his documentary stuff, his social media stuff. And, um, Gilad, one of their guys, he hit me up, he followed my work. Um, and 
it was the off season. It was last year during the off season and Tom was kind of just practicing as he normally does. And I guess the usual stuff they captured during that is just still photos, super, maybe super simple gifts at most, but just like very, very basic stuff. And I think they wanted to like see what else they could do. So, um, I guess they showed, they shown Tom some of my work. They showed him the Callaway stuff. He was into it. He was down. And so, they were just interested to see if like I'd be willing to like fly out to Boston and shoot some stuff. And if there was no budget, it wasn't like a paid thing. It was just like an opportunity. And I was so excited by that. Um, so a couple weeks later, bought a, bought a ticket, flew to Boston. Um, we shot for an hour and I could come up with whatever I wanted. So I came up with, I knew I always like doing like a three part series, right? And so with that series, I kind of wanted to have like a basic video that I knew would, that I knew like would do really well on his feed just cause it's like straight to the point. It's nothing crazy. Like he'd never really done anything visual effects heavy on his page. So I wanted to start like with a super basic one and then kind of like a mid-level one, which is simple, but still like has this really cool effect to it. And then the third one I wanted to be like, this is like what, is like the dream to do like which was that cgi video that you referenced right right um so i came up with the concepts pitched it to his team they loved it he loved it and then um and then yeah he we we met up on uh this practice field um in boston we had like an hour together shot each video had like 15 20 minutes per video um and it was me him his trainer and then Elad from Shadowline. Um, and yeah, dude, it was insane. It was, it was so much fun. Like, I think the whole, the whole process of coming up with those concepts, I think it was a mix of two things. It was a mix of like, usually I always will try and push myself to come up with like a really crazy concept. I think especially because I knew I'd be shooting with someone who like in his own world is constantly like pushing himself. I think there was that added pressure I put on myself to like really try and come up with something that would, that he would really enjoy and that like, I think his fans would really love. Right. Um, and yeah, that was, that was like one of the more fun projects I've ever worked on. So to break down how for the CGI one, the heavier one to break mm-hmm. it down, what, how did, cause it's just you, it's like a three-man crew, right? Just BTS. There was a BTS. Someone shooting BTS. Yeah. You and Shadowline. Um, there wasn't really even a BTS crew. Most of the BTS I end up sharing is literally just like raw footage from my camera. So with that, oh, with right. that series, two of the two or three of the videos, like the BTS I posted, is literally just like this is what the footage looks like coming straight out of the camera. Um, but it was just three or four of us on set, and again, like he was already practicing that day, so it was him and his trainer who kind of like helped as a prop if we ever need it or like right, right. if we need someone to like throw a ball to him or something, that was kind of yeah. him. Um, and then again, there was someone from his team, his video team that was also there to kind of like help facilitate it and make sure yeah. like if we need an extra hand. Um, and then for the most part there was, yeah, the CGI one was literally just me and Tom. Um, well, yeah. What were you going to, were you going to ask something? Uh, about well, that I wanted, I wanted to know, cause it's like, you. so the, the way it starts is it, it just starts with the ball coming in and, and he catches it and then he turns yeah. to do a 180 to throw it down the pipeline. And then mm-hmm. the camera's following the ball and in slow motion, we see the ball say, you know, whatever, 20 years on it. 
and continued to him. So the way, and was this on a 360 camera as well, or did you have a DSLR or something? That was on my DSLR. Right. So is the, yeah. how did you, how, what was the motion? Like, was it all truly one take and then the ball flying is CGI or, or what's the balance there? So one of the beat, I think the BTS on that, that I posted shows the raw footage. Um, where basically, I have a question. Are you going to show video on top of this yeah, or yeah, like, yeah. I'll do it for sure. Okay. So, okay. I'll, so I'll like you can show this, this as yeah. I talk it through. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Perfect. Okay, cool. So that was just a one take shot handheld with my DSLR. And if you look in the, in the raw footage, basically, um, I start like the, tr- the transition is the pan, right? That's what I use to kind of to kind of seamlessly make it seem like it was all one take. Right. So it starts with the whip pan, but it's all super slow motion. And then I start walking towards Tom and then I called the trainer to throw the ball. So I kind of, that was a cue. He threw the ball and then Tom catches it. So as soon as he has the ball in his hand, that ball is real. And then I kind of wrap around him. He's kind of like getting ready to throw it, gets in position. Then as I kind of walk away from him, backing away, he throws the ball over my head. So then as soon as the ball leaves his hand, then it's CGI. Right. So when he has the ball, that's real. Anytime the ball's in midair, that's when we kind of use CGI to create the path. So is the, when the ball's in the air, is the world plated? Is that from a plate? Or how are you creating the world where, because the ball's in focus, everything else is out of focus. Is that you still truly doing like a, a pan with your camera and using that plate as your option? Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And it's speeding that up and adding motion blur to kind of like add to the realism of this hyperlapse effect. That's crazy. Yeah, dude. Yes. Again, if you like literally the, that BTS clip I posted, it looks like, Oh, he probably added way more shit to it and like played around with the footage. The only thing I did on top of that footage is just sped it up, stabilize and then added CGI. Otherwise, like it's the footage was as shaky as it was. Obviously I had a lot of stabilization. Um, and then, and then, yeah, that was kind of, would it, would it have been easier? Do you think if you had a gimbal, would that have made a different result for tracking when you, when, when it comes down to that? Or is that, how do you feel yes. between handheld versus that? It would have been way easier. I think the reason I didn't use a gimbal, this sounds so crazy. I just like, don't want to have to like, travel I, with it. I'm, <laughs> it's, it's a mix of that. It's just like, I don't, I like to make shooting as simple as possible. Even if it means editing for three extra weeks, Right. I would rather do that just because that's how this brain works for some reason. And it, it, it's terrible sometimes. No, I feel it. That makes sense. Yeah. It like makes- a gimbal would have made it way easier. Like I probably like shooting with a gimbal would have saved a couple days of stabilization, but I just like to shoot with literally just me and my camera and kind of, yeah, yeah that's cool. Yeah, yeah, I think that was cool. I, I like I like being able to dive into these types of projects because I mean we could talk. There's so many that you do that we could dive <laughs> into, but this is some good samples of it. Um, I I think to wrap this up as far as like the virus and everything, it's it'd be interesting to hear how it's you know pivoting you. Obviously, you just moved in a house, so it's good because you can kind of welcome yourself home and be there yeah. permanently for uh, the current time. But how do you see it shifting the way you create content? Um, that you work with people, you work with events, uh, and now it's out the, out the gate. So how, do, how are some of the ways you're transitioning? Yeah, totally. So I think the biggest project I had going that 
obviously Coachella, that was kind of the only project I really had going. And then, and then I can't create that without a festival happening, obviously. So, um, you know, there are, there are a lot of, I think being a self-sufficient creator is super helpful. Um, cause I do mostly do video directing, but on top of that, I also shoot, I know all my gear and I do a lot of editing and all that stuff. So for example, the passion project that I'm doing right now, which literally is just like, I'm just doing it just cause I want to get back into it is, is it's just editing. It's kind of like a, like I'm grabbing photos from online and then kind of like editing some stuff together. Right. Um, so it's great because I can still create, like, I know a lot of people who, just no cameras or just no editing or just no one thing. So it's really hard for them to collaborate when you can't really be with other people. But luckily, fortunately for me, like there, I still have ways I can kind of, um, create something and get energized by it. Right. Um, and also like, I think the last, I think the industry was just kind of like shut down. Like people were just like figuring out like, what do we do? What has happened? I think slowly people are starting to like come up with new plans. Like in the last couple, in the last week or so is when I've started to get hit up with projects again. I've got like two or three new projects that like um, are slowly rolling in. I think it's also from like brands and clients who like are making the best of the situation, trying to figure out, okay, how can we still, um, create content and get our point across and you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, being able to like, it kind of was a weird, like moving into a new house and like having all this time just dedicated to unpacking has been really nice. Cause that's a whole process and project within itself. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, so, so yeah, fortunately I've been doing okay. Like keeping busy. Like I, as always, I just feel like I still have like a lot of stuff to do and like, I worked on my website. Like there's always, anytime there's downtime, I work on my website. I do outreach. I respond to messages. Like there's always stuff to do as long as we can still communicate. Like even you, like you can't do in-person interviews, but you can still like do zoom chats and all that stuff. Um, I think like just being able to figure out how to adapt, that's really been the, the challenge. And I think slowly, slowly people are figuring that out. That's true. Um, Damn. All right. Well, I appreciate your time on this, dude. We, I want to obviously have you on a million times, which we should. Uh, and then let's for sure link as soon as this quarantine, you know, mandation is donezo. Uh, awesome, man. But I'll link, I'll put links to everything in the description, obviously, so that people can check you out and follow your stuff. And, uh, Hopefully next time you're on the podcast, you'll have like a million followers on Instagram. That'll be cool. cool story. <laughs> I want to come next time. I want to come in. I want to see the whole space. Do you have to? We just acquired more space too. I got to figure out how to fill it. I don't know what we're gonna do with it, but yeah, it's wow. starting to come together. From and you're from the just kitchen. renting. You're just renting a whole spot. Yeah, um, a suite. Like we rented a suite. We used to just rent one part of a suite out of from two other people, a colorist and an architect, but they just both bailed because of the virus, and so we either had to leave or take over the whole rent or the whole oh, wow. space. So we just decided to pull the trigger and see what we could do with it. But yeah, we'll figure it out. I have no idea. There's more space. We shoot shit in there or something. I don't know, but <laughs> yeah, you got to come by for real. You'll have to come by. Awesome, man. Hell yeah. All right. I appreciate it, man. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, man. Take care. That's it for Ari's episode. Again, all the links will be in the description below. Make sure to give him a follow and check his workout. Next up, we have Miranda. Let's get into that episode right now. Miranda's in the house. You like that? that's awesome i love it hey um so you're now my friend okay we're now becoming friends right here right now on this podcast for the first time um and i gotta say i just got like 
looped in. I think Joe Larkin's the one that put me on to your work and scrubbing through your, I went to your website. Your website, A, looks great. B, your work is unreal. Well, thanks if, so much. If no one's Thank ever you. told you that before, you got some fire flicks. All right. Um, <laughs> thanks. But I'm glad to have you here. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah. So good to meet you. Uh, hopefully one day it's not via a webcam, Zoom. but yeah, you know, know. cross yeah, when we get there. Yeah, we will. We'll do the full interview at some point, but for people who are listening, could you kind of, um, list some of like the top I, you were, it seems like you work with a lot of festivals, are you shooting for a lot of festivals or do you shoot primarily with artists or celebrities? Cause I know you've been like shooting like Sean Mendez and you've, it looks like you were shooting Coachella and a, a range of artists, David Dobrig. So you're like hitting these top tier people. Shout out to you. Yeah. Yeah. Can you get, thanks, kind of summarize thanks. this list for us. Yeah. So I do a little bit of everything. Um, I do, I shoot for, for festivals. Like I do in-house for golden voice. So that's oh, like Coachella stagecoach, camp Flogna, FYF. Um, I mean, you guys know Golden Voice. Um, and then I also, I toured last year with Julia Michaels. Mm. She's like an awesome pop singer-songwriter. She's epic. Um, and then this other amazing pop singer-songwriter, B. Miller. So that was awesome. Tour was crazy. And then I'll also work with, you know, people like Sean. I filled in for his photographer a couple times. And then people like David Dobrik. I got that gig through his merch company called Fanjoy. Right. So I've shot with him uh, like four or five times now and it's oh, always crazy. It's always something different. <laughs> so when you're shooting for, for that Fanjoy is mm-hmm. trying to get content around his merch. Cause isn't that what Fanjoy does is they like, they just sell merch only, right? That's primarily yep. the thing. So you're just getting yeah. content for merch and going out and coming up with ideas for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really just, um, it's pretty simple. The things that we're shooting. So you get to like, kind of get creative with the shots. We just shoot hoodies and t-shirts and sweatpants. Um, so it's like, it is a little bit challenging sometimes thinking of how to shoot it differently, but it's, I mean, when you work with people who are already super creative and down to do whatever, it's, right. it's a blast. Yeah. I mean, for people who don't know who that person is, he's like crushing YouTube right now as far as like mm-hmm. stunts. I know he just did a video where he like drove around and gave out like 250 grand or 500 grand. Probably if you add up all the cars and everything that he tossed out, tons and tons of money that he was distributing for this YouTube video just to like give to people that have, or that are affected by COVID. And, and so this is the type of person that makes wild content and that's cool that you get to work with them. So then when you, you toured, what was, what was touring? Like, have you been touring before or was that like one of your first few tours? Uh, that was my first one. So oh, cool. this time last year, um, the beginning of March, I got my first one with Julia and we did, we were opening for pink Oh, in dope. arenas and then wow. on off days we would have our own headline shows of like think like house of blues size rooms right mm-hmm. like a thousand give or take um so that was crazy that had been my dream for so long i like i was stuck i stuck it really wasn't really stuck but i felt um like i was just in that festival lane and i really wanted to tour with an artist and like get on that personal level and create content for someone specifically and just really help dig into their brand. Right. Um, so it was just, it was such a cool experience working with another female artist who was also my age. We actually like, we talk all the time. We became really close friends on the tour, which also, you know, it feels really good. Right. Yeah. And for people who don't understand when you're working for a festival, um, and I would like to get into that more after this, but when you're working for a festival, you, you're almost, you have like these job tasks and your goal is to like hit this stage, try to hit this artist, get this type of content so that they can use it across the festivals, social feeds primarily. Um, what, what was the adjustment to, 
to working directly with the artists, like being able to get the deliverables that their team would want compared to like what a festival is looking for and then giving you way more access to the artists than you typically would at a festival. Like what, what was the difference there that you noticed? Um, just, it's like when you're working specifically with one artist, there's mm-hmm. this level of trust. I think it's a combination of like, you know, you're on the road for so long. So you're really, you're sacrificing your whole personal life you don't really have a personal life anymore. You're eat, breathing and sleeping this one artist. Whereas a festival, it's a little bit more flexible. It's usually just like a weekend or two. Yeah. I think, did that answer the question? Or yeah, did well, I get what do you, prefer, what do you, do you like it? Do, do you like it more? What do you, what do you find? I, I understand the convenience of like, um, I'm sure you're familiar with Greg Noir. Like he, yeah. he was just oh, on here not too long. I know me too. And he, that's his whole thing. He rarely tours. I think Childish Gambino is like the only tour he's really done. And mm-hmm. he, he flies in, knocks out a festival, flies home back with family, his kids, you know, the house and normal life. Do you like that life more or do you prefer, did you enjoy like the tour living out of a backpack, like kind of just life freezes? Cause that's what, how it always feels to me when I tour. It's like yeah. literally all this other shit is donezo. Like I, none of it, happens anymore to me because you're just like consumed by whoever's life you're working for you know what I mean I don't know it's yeah. interesting yeah I think that I think because I'm I just turned 26 so I'm still young enough to where tour is exciting and amazing mm-hmm. and I want to keep doing it at this age but I think by the time I'm in my 30s I would much rather be at home or have a little bit more consistent schedule and like, right. you know, my own stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, touring now is just, it's so exciting. You wake up in a new city every day and you become family with the, with the other, the band and the crew, right? So it's just, it's like, it's really special to be let in, I guess, and to be welcomed into the family like that. Right. What, 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 um, what gear would you bring on tour? Like, what did you end up bringing with you that you found that you use the most frequent, especially like when you had to play those smaller shows versus like arenas? Cause I guess there's yeah. a balance there, like, you know, adjusting to having to like run all over an arena versus a house of blues where you can barely get around, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Ever. Oh gosh. And you're sweaty and you're like rubbing against other sweaty people. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I have my full Pelican, but when I'm shooting the show, I use a think tank belt. So mm. I have like two little pouches in it and I'll always have my 70 to 200 always. Um, and then I'll rotate between having like my 24 to 70 or 1635. And then like a 50 prime or my 35 prime. I kind of always carry the 70 to 200 and then a wide versus like the 16 versus the 24 just depends on the size of the room. Right. Um, Cause if the room's really small, you don't need 16 to 35, you yeah, know, that belt has to come in clutch, huh? We, I it's would always, the best. I wish I had that on tour. Like the last tour I did, I, we yeah. ended up getting like fanny packs that someone had that could fit the 70 to 200 somehow. So we Holy did that, crap. but still is a pain in the ass because you're like trying to unzip it and trying to get into it and holding your lenses and stuff. Do you shoot with two cameras or just one? I used to shoot with two, but then my back started hurting. <laughs> so right. now I'm like back down to one. Right. Um, but yeah, with the, with the belt, you can hold everything you need in there, you know, and it looks kind of dorky, but I don't care. You know, yeah. it's, it's just you that's, you know, benefiting from it. Right. No, that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, when you started working with golden voice, could you kind of share insight on that? Cause I think a lot of creators are interested in working in festival world. They think that maybe it, you have to talk to the festival directly. Um, 
what insight do you have as far as like joining something, a company like that, that puts on these festivals and needs this type of content? Like how, how'd you go about kind of getting that gig? Yeah. So it's honestly just saying yes. When gigs, other gigs come up, just take everything, say yes to everything and work really hard and network. Um, I didn't apply for the golden voice gig. It was like one person led to another, led to another, led to another. Mm -hmm. Right. So my name just like kind of kept popping up to this one creative lead. Um, so eventually she was like, all right, well, I've heard Miranda's name like from four different people now. Let's check out her work. So I think it's really just grinding and keeping your head down and saying yes to everything. There's no gig that's too big or too small mm-hmm. when you're, you know, when you're trying to break into something like that, you just need to have your name floating around as much as you can. Not for sure. Was it for you? I mean, what's kind of the the typical schedule pre-quarantine life when you were working for someone like golden voice was it yo we have these you know temple dates coming up like expect to work these or is it random like hey we have an event over here could you come up this weekend how did how did that process work for you yeah so for me personally i'm just on their festival team Mm. so we um we know like at least a, a month or two ahead but you know for things like coachella you hold your entire year that's that's Coachella, right? Like that's the dream for every music photographer, I think. Right. Um, so you, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Coachella's the dream. <laughs> you do festivals. So you kind of already have an idea of like the upcoming events based on, you know, everyone knows that Coachella happens and well, it's supposed to happen, you know, recently, yeah, et cetera. But that's kind of yeah. it. It's just kind of like they temp or is it is it like options or is it, are you signed to like, it's, it's like a pseudo agency almost like are they just asking you if you're available? Is it just based on availability? Yeah. So we'll get an email, um, <laughs> usually anywhere from, you know, four to eight weeks ahead of time. Right. And they'll be like, Hey, this is, this is this, this is the rate. Are you free? More details coming soon. So you'll obviously say you're free because Coachella is awesome. Um, and then, that day before the festival on Thursday, that's when you go out and like you have your onsite meeting the day before. And then the day of the festival, you're there at like nine or 10 AM before right. anyone else. And you do your, you know, you get all your things in order. Yeah. What, what are some of the things you try to um, prioritize when you shoot a festival, like in a, in a random, you know, on a, on a Saturday of a festival, what are some of your main objectives or goals for yourself that you, you try to set maybe even above like what they're asking for you to do at the festival? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the main thing is taking care of your body. It's really, really hot out there and you have to hydrate and you have to like, you have to eat food, make sure you time, make time to eat food. Um, but on the like creative side, I like to do little, like little projects like, um, in between artists. Cause what they do is they assign us artists. They come out with the whole schedule for the day and you'll have, you know, one person in this tent at, 1 p.m. one person at this tent at 3 p.m. so in between i'll kind of walk around the festival grounds and maybe do like a cool portrait series of like um festival attendees or just look for really cool atmosphere shots like people lounging in the grass or people dancing around um i think the atmosphere is just as important as the artists especially because they're going to be using that for years to come uh and the like the real part of it is the the artist is never really going to come back to that festival. So they're only going to use those shots during, you know, the live updates of their feed. So the atmosphere is super important for them on their marketing side, which I think is why they build the team out. Cause 
everyone on the team is really well-rounded in that sense to where they can cover both at the same time. Mm, right. Just to take advantage of like the downtime technically between stage yeah. artists that you'd have to cover. No, that's clutch. Mm -hmm. we, I, was, I can't remember who I was talking to with this subject and it's like a lot of people kind of look at it as um, kind of a bummer that they'd be assigned to having to shoot like features or, or shooting just crowd. And like, they think that, Oh, I want to shoot the artist. Everyone wants to shoot the artist. You know what I mean? That's always an angle. Yeah. So many people like get salty about that. But at the same time, what we've talked about in the past is that it's a, honestly, it's like an opportunity for you to really bond with whoever's hiring you. Because if you're getting those atmosphere shots, like you said, that's great promo. Like to literally have shots of people happy as hell at a festival that they paid $600 to come to and they're jumping mm -hmm. around and enjoying it. And they can be like, this is what happens when you come to our thing. Like, yes, you'll see this person performing and sweaty and fire and dope shit. Like you can imagine, but also this is, this is a primary thing. And a lot of people overlook that. Um, is there any other advice that you give to someone that's like maybe taking on the festival world that they're not currently thinking about? Yeah. Um, don't be afraid to get in the crowd. Like, get the point of view shots, get the hands in the air with the artist through it. Um, I think there's something so much more special with those point of view angles because it's that's what everyone else is seeing, right? Like, being up on stage is really, really cool too. Getting the behind shot with the crowd, it's epic. It's yeah. so crazy looking out and seeing tens of thousands of people, but everyone's in the crowd. So people want to see what they're seeing, if that makes sense. Uh, for sure. Um, yeah. When you, when you were before this whole quarantine shit happened, what was one of the more recent projects that you worked on that was pretty exciting for you? Um, I got to spend two days working with, um, with tones and I, have you heard of her? She's like an Australian pop singer. She has this massive song called dance monkey. Oh yeah, I almost just popped up on my, heard that one. It literally just popped up on my Instagram. Like you, know, yeah. you could pick the songs. Okay, dope. That's sick. Yeah, so we did. Um, she had a show at the Fonda, which oh, was cool. sold out. That was awesome. So we did that one day. Then the next day we did a promo. Uh, we did like iHeartRadio into like just more radio interviews. Um, so that was really cool. It was my first time working with her and her team and they were all really nice. So what the goal was just kind of highlighting the days or were you trying to set up any shots in between press runs and things like that outside of the show? Honestly, it was so crazy packed that I was just following their schedule and kind mm -hmm. of just documenting everything that was happening. It was more like fly on the wall. Like right. I wasn't, I didn't really talk that much, which is like my favorite thing. I love just observing things and documenting them as they're unfolding. Um, so yeah, it was just, I kind of got hired just to do what I do, which was, was really nice. How long have you been shooting? I love that. This is just me. Post, I'm literally pricking you with questions right now. Yeah, no, you're good. I wild, love wild it. West right now with this quarantine and chill segment where <laughs> anything goes, <laughs> no, but I'm just like, tell me think, more about yourself. <laughs> tell me more. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, my high school had a dark room, so I learned on film when I was 15. Wow. Uh, black and white film class is amazing. i didn't like school. I had friends and I was like kind of friendly with everyone, but I always preferred to be in that dark room, kind of just creating. Um, so I did that for a few years and then it wasn't until I was 20, 21 that I started taking it seriously. Hmm. So it's been full time for three and a half years, but it took me probably two, just about two years of really grinding and working those part-time jobs and uh, right. just making your schedule work to be able to go full time. Well, and it's like the thing you said 
that is that is cool to me is that by networking and having built relationships or creating a good name for yourself as a hard worker, like clearly you sound like you just go all all the way up when on every project mm-hmm. you work with. Is it to you? Do you feel like it's about percentage wise? Like, is it about the art or is it about knowing people, but also being able to, to knock out the art, like being able to learn the skills of, of operating your camera and be in a great creator and, and being able to understand how to be a fly on the wall. We need to be a fly on the wall and not just come in and ask a million questions, but also building those relationships. Like a, is that how important are the relationships to you? But more so what, what was like one of the first relationships you had that really pivoted your career? Yeah. So honestly, I think, I think relationships are just as important, if not more important than how talented you are and how well, you know, your camera. Um, cause without, without people knowing who you are, there's really no gigs, you know, like there's no, there's not really anywhere to apply for any job in this industry. Right. I mean, no, yeah, for sure. Truly. <laughs> like yeah, you, I mean, there's no rule book that. either. So right. we're all just kind of winging it. Yeah. Um, I do have a really pivotal person. I, so there was a certain point when I had the part-time restaurant job, I was working in a sushi spot in San Diego and it turned into a nightclub. So I'd serve dinner and then I would shoot the show. Right. Okay. Uh, it was terrible. Yeah, it was, it was fun. I don't regret it at all. Um, That's dope. And there was one artist. Uh, so it was all electronic music, all DJs. Cool. And this one guy, Will Clark, um, he's on Dirty Bird Records. Okay. He, I met him when I was serving them dinner, right? And then I was right. like, "Oh, I'm going to be your photographer later," because it's like, oh, it's funny to like joke around about it. Yeah. And um, we ended up becoming really good friends. He referred me to shoot Dirty Bird Camp Out for um, in-house, like on their in-house team. Right. And from there, I met someone in catering who did video for Coachella. So like, you know, it's these little tiny things Crazy. that get you to your main goal. Which you said is, you met someone in catering? Yeah, yeah. Oh, in catering. I thought you meant like they were part of the catering crew. And I was like, damn, that's no. the hustle is you're working catering gigs when you can't get photo video gigs. <laughs> damn. You met them no. in the catering tent. Yeah. I just, I sat, I was by myself and I, cause I didn't know anyone. I think it was my first festival I shot. One wow. of the first. Um, and I sat at a table where I didn't know anybody and I was like, hi, I'm Miranda. And we just started chatting, uh, right. about, cause they had all their cameras on the table. So like, I obviously knew they were the video crew. Yeah. Um, but just, you know, be friendly. It's not hard to go say hi and introduce yourself. Mm-hmm. No, that's true. Um, when, when this all started to happen, um, and everyone got kind of mandated to like stay inside, how, how does that change everything for you? Obviously a photographer who does a lot of events and works with a lot of people, it's tough. And I know a lot of us creatives are Mm -hmm. dealing with that, but how have you been kind of pivoting during this time and, and trying to excel during the decrease in work? Yeah. I mean, obviously it's been really hard. Um, I think I just used my camera for the first time in like 45 days yesterday. (laughs) So it's, it feels very weird to not be doing what you love doing. Mm. Um, I started a print shop the first week that it happened. So like having that income, I mainly just did landscapes stuff. Um, but having that like little source of income really helped calm my, my mind. Right. Um, and otherwise I just like, I've, I've been sitting down once a week and just brainstorming different things that I could do. Right. Mm -hmm. Like 
shooting products or shooting, I don't know, virtually on FaceTime. I haven't done that yet, but I think it's a cool idea. You know, there's no harm. So like, have you seen people doing these FaceTime shoots, like doing portraits? No. Yeah. Here. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't tried it, but there's, um, one of my favorite photographers is this guy, Alessio. Oh God, I'm going to fuck up his name for sure. Right. Um, I'll send you his, I'll send you his stuff, but he's right. done some beautiful FaceTime portraits and it's, even if it's not anything that goes anywhere, it at least feels good to create and it'll yeah, that's keep, cool. it'll keep your brain a little bit happy. Cause I think that keeping yourself mentally in a good place is the most important part. Cause it's going to be a really long time until mm. life is back to normal. So you just, you got to take care of yourself. Right. I, I've, the, I feel like the only thing that, we technically would want to shoot is like document. I did it one day for like 12 minutes was just like step outside and try it. It was raining and people were wearing masks. I'm like, Oh cool. This is my version of documenting this whole, this whole shit. And Mm -hmm. I I don't want to go out and do that because I feel like I'm kind of adding to the problem, even though you, you, there's ways to do it where you're being responsible and shit. But at the same time, it's like, we're all supposed to stay inside the house. But I feel like, when I want it, when I think about shooting coronavirus content, right? Like of coronavirus, um, it has to be sad. It has to be like gloomy and dark for me to like want to do that. Otherwise it's just like, I don't want to go out and do anything. Like, isn't that weird that that's the, that's the image I have that I have to capture in my head is like gloom. It has to be gloomy. Like it was sunny the other day and someone was walking their dog or something. They just looked interesting. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. But it would have been cooler if it was like shitty outside. Yeah, no dude, I feel exactly (laughs) the same. I've like, low-key been waiting for it to rain again so that i can go shoot a roll of black and white film and like you know shoot for my car or whatever be safe but um no i feel the same it's because it's it's heavy to think about how different our lives are you know what were you doing this time last year have you thought about that uh was last year coachella uh yeah it it would have just ended i actually two days ago I was with Jay shooting in New York city and it was, it was fucking awesome. And they just shared like the anniversary of that happening. And it was like, it's crazy to think that we were not in New York city packed out, like where I used to have to like walk to the venue and it was just, you're hitting people walking through New York and now it's just like bare empty streets and shit. It's so weird. It's too I weird. Know. I, I know. I didn't even get in my elevator yesterday because someone was in it in my apartment. I was like, Oh wait, you know, so it's like, it's so it's yeah. so fucked up, but I know no. what, so the shop, when you said you're printing, so what, what have you, how did you go about printing? Like what, what have you found is like the best solution so far for you for like distributing your prints? Did you find like a company that you go through? Yeah. Yeah. So I used this site called pixie set, Okay. but, um, I'm having like a little bit of issue right now with the speed that they're getting them out. Cause I know they shut down a lot of their print shops because of the coronavirus. Right. So the first three weeks were great. They were like sending stuff out day of when they were ordered, but now it's taking like a week or two. Right. So um, I'm thinking about doing it locally in LA and just like having a friend, one of my friends prints um, for like a living. Oh, cool. So doing that and then shipping them out on my own. But that's also a lot more work on my end. Yeah. So I'm just trying to decide what I want to do. Right. And it like makes you have to go to the UPS store or whatever. And you're around more people. That's Mm -hmm. that's tough. Is it when you pick your images, like how did, how'd you go about picking the images that you used for, um, for your, for your web store? Yeah. I kind of just went through all of my landscape stuff in the last couple of years. Uh, I grew up in the Bay area, so I have a lot of cool ones of the golden gate bridge, which is stunning. Right. Um, I did that. I did like just stuff of, like the redwoods, I kind of looked at my own apartment 
and imagined what I could see on my walls, mm. you know, and like kind yeah. of like stepped out and kind of thought about what other people might want. Right. Um, but a lot of people supported me, which felt so good. And now that they have cool dope. art for their house too. So no, that's really cool. That's awesome. Um, all yeah. right. Last question before I let you go. So what do you suggest? I like that you said you sit down once a week and try to brainstorm do like a brain dump and try to come up mm-hmm. with some new ideas. What do you suggest other creators out there that, that are kind of chilling? They have this downtime. Is there anything that you would recommend that they do to kind of, uh, think outside the box or get creative or, is there a good content that they should be consuming right now that you think is helpful? Hmm. I think don't be too hard on yourself is my main thing. Um, I know that doesn't really have to do with anything productive, but it is long-term productive because we're all in the same boat and like none of us can change anything about it. So if you have a day where you feel like crap and you want to sit on your couch and watch TV all day, like that's fine, you know, right. get outside and go on a walk, but then let yourself feel how you feel. Um, creatively, I mean, it's so hard because, you know, how much can you do with your camera? I think doing self portraits is kind of cool. Um, mm. It's like really outside of my comfort zone. I haven't done it yet, but that's cool. Updating your portfolio, which I still haven't done. It's been on this list for however many weeks we've been yeah. here. Um, and organizing your hard drives. I spent like three hours the other day cleaning up all of my old ones. I used to be so unorganized. It's, it's uh, yeah, so it's frustrating, very, but know. now I feel a, little, a lot better about it. Right. I know. I feel the same boat. It's, it would literally take me, it'll take me like weeks, I think, to like truly mm-hmm. gather all this stuff into the way that I imagine it to be. Jesus. I know. I know. Um, well, shit, I appreciate you doing this. I, obviously, we got to do an interview at some point, so it's more linear and I could <laughs> I can just really have a good conversation <laughs> with you instead of just poking you with questions. But um, anything else you want, people, obviously I'll put links to your, your socials in the bottom. And where where can they find your shop? If you guys want to check out her, her, her photo shop. That yeah, you're, it's you're actually, it's in my Instagram, but like it's in my link in, in bio. Links or in the bio. Yeah. All right. Boom. Link in right. bio. <laughs> well, we'll put the link in the description too. So it's a little easier. All right. Thank you so much. Cool. Yeah. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Bye. It's nice meeting you. That's it for Miranda. You guys got to check out her website. Her photo work is unreal. Make sure to uh, pick up a print if you have a few extra bucks laying around you want to decorate your wall. Uh, Next up, my boy Justin Odisho. Let's get to it right now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, guess who's in the house? Justin Odisho. (laughs) What's up, dog? Dude, how'd you do that? Do you have a soundboard? Yeah, I got a soundboard because it's we over here high tech at Black Window Cream. You know, you actually, yeah, your studio looks really good. Actually, I haven't seen it. Uh, I haven't seen it actually since you got it. Things have changed since uh, we did the first episode ever on the podcast. How does it feel to be number one? It feels really cool actually, (laughs) because every like few months or so, someone actually listens to the whole thing and then sends us the hashtag that we said. I, I, uh, we just got a little post on Twitter like two days ago and I saw mm-hmm. it and I was like, oh man, that's crazy. Cause it, it, I really think about it how, and I always reference how nuts that episode was cause I was so nervous to do it and talk to you right. for like three hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was actually my fault cause I ramble. No, dude, I rambled too, but it was so funny because I just had all these notes. And I was like, what if I can't fill like an hour and a half? And then we talked for three hours, most of it about like you working at, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, Macy's? No, what was it? No, Nord- Nordstrom. Nordstrom. Yeah, Nordstrom. Shout out to Nordstrom. Yeah. Shout out to Nordstrom. How you been though? How, how's life treating you now? It's pretty chill, yeah. Um, you been staying I mean, obviously like 
we're in some strange times, but we are. I was curious. We're making. I'm getting super creative, and as I see that you are too, like doing all this. For I'm pushing the boundaries of like the written format of iMessage and other things. Are you? <laughs> and Instagram. <laughs> How so? Teach me. Like, you know, before quarantine, you just like go hang out with people. <laughs> yeah. But now like I have to use like, now I'm like, oh, what's this? You can record voice notes. You can send little monkey faces. <laughs> like I'm doing whatever I can for human interaction. <laughs> You're using like the, the, the features that most like normal people are using that you just never pay attention to before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I like the iMessage games. Like I didn't know that you could turn your phone sideways and write like in cursive with the pen. Oh Did yeah. You know yeah, yeah. I've, yeah. That's like, yeah, you it, can, but like, is anybody's handwriting good enough for that? I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to work on it. Um, yo, so I think when we first recorded the podcast, you had like 400,000 subs. Now I you're think on not like, even. Maybe like two, 250. 300. 300. Like two something like that. Now you're at a whopping 771K. Let's Again. go. <laughs> Honestly, the climb to a million is like treacherous. <laughs> is it hard to do? I feel like it, it, it. I mean, dude, that's been that was three years ago almost that we had that conversation. I mean... Yeah, it's it's like slow and steady. Like I guess it depends on what you do. Like right. not everyone's guaranteed to who knows if there's a million people trying to learn a specific software, but Right. I'm confident that I'll get there, but it is a yeah. grueling climb after a while. Well, do you, so that's what's interesting like for your channel, have you found like new techniques or are you always exercising different techniques in the way that you create content or like even that cuz for our podcast it's like how do we get more subscribers on the channel or how do we get more people to subscribe on the podcast platform? It's like, okay, we have to encourage them to do it all the time. Do we have to get creative with how we encourage them? Or is it just like an obvious plug you have to make when you're making content? But for you, um, everyone always says it's hard. The hardest one's getting 10 K subs on YouTube. That see, that's, that's not the same. It was hard to get a hundred, a hundred K was like, that was like the monumental moment. Like when I got the, when I hit 100,000 subscribers, I always thought that would be like a dream. Like I'd be set for life. Like, and then, like anyone I know, like don't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> but then Yo, once I got you know, 100K, get K, out of here. Like, you know what? Actually, like back in 2011 or 2012, 100K actually was like that. Yeah. But, by the time you hit it in like 2020, 100k is like nothing. And like, well, goddamn it, we we just got 5k, dog. We just hit 5k on the Black and Cream channel. This sucks. Fuck. Well, no, I mean the other thing too. I mean, there's so many other platforms, you know. Right. Obviously, and the other thing too is like, yeah, it's a cool goal, but it actually is not the best metric I think to look at because, no, of course. and it's not the metric I've always been looking at. It just is like an arbitrary goal. Right. But it actually stopped me for a long time from from uh like sometimes it discourages you when you're because you can't control how many subscribers you get you know right. all you can do is control how many how much content and stuff you make so if you start my, with me i've had my channel since 2011 and i've been uploading even stuff before that but when you are on a hot streak like in 2017 like i was on a pretty good hot streak i was uploading every single day for like months and months and months and right getting like a thousand subscribers a day and that's that feels like a rush you know right but then once you obviously like stuff goes up and down and so 
all of a sudden a video a video that I would make and get like 40,000 views on which is great all of a sudden like if I was posting it and stuff it only get like 20k views which is still amazing all of a sudden I was like hmm this is not working anymore like returns are diminishing and then you slow down and it's like a it's yeah. like a vicious cycle what's your current schedule that you have right now for yourself How how's your channel so, uploading now so I took what happened was I got kind of like I had to take a step back because I didn't I kept doing the same thing over and over basically kind of like rode this wave until till it slowed down then I took a step back and I just thought and then I realized that that's the wrong approach is to measure it based on the views and, and subscribers you're getting always because you can't control that so I was getting discouraged by the ratios mm. like oh man I'm I'm not getting the same ratios I used to or it's harder to get 10k views nowadays and it is still harder to get 10k views but now I I I kind of look at my channel more like um like you know Khan Academy no what's that really it's like the if you ever type in like said, how really? to do an algebra, algebra <laughs> really? equation oh yeah I like, definitely don't know about that because I don't know math bro and <laughs> no, I don't anyone in math. school has used it it's a really really big channel it's like five seven million subscribers five million okay. something like that cool and the thing is like they post like dozens of videos a day or a week or a month like they post lots of videos all the time right and they might post something literally like what's two plus two like a little two minute video on a certain equation and they have like five million subscribers but it might sometimes the video might only get like 200 views because right. it's so specific Right. But they have such a huge catalog that if you look at their monthly views, it's still like really a lot, like tens of millions of views. And mm. it's still like a really great sustainable thing. So I think I was getting caught up in like looking at my channel the wrong way, like like a vlogger or something where they get yeah. all the views up front, but then maybe it won't, won't always get views like in a couple months down the line. No one's watching an old vlog. Yeah, you're but like my focusing channel, on the long game. It might, yeah, like it might, um, I might not get as much views on how to export. Like perfect example, I made a video how to export transparent in After Effects or something. Mm -hmm. I made a couple of videos on how, how to export and what's the difference between Lightroom and Photoshop. And initially those videos got like a couple thousand views, but then all of a sudden those videos are getting like tens of thousands of views a month and like getting hundreds of thousands of views. So wow. I see it like more like planting seeds. Right. Yeah. You have to, you're, you're like strategizing. Uh, I mean, for people who don't know your channel, you're deep diving into Adobe's software primarily, um, yeah. Premiere, After Effects, Photoshop. And so your whole channel consists of you creating uh, knowledgeable pieces of content that will teach someone on how to use it. And like for me, I, I don't know how many times I've had to search something on YouTube and your face pops up and I'm like, all right, cool. Hell yeah. <laughs> because you're just, now you're the trusted source. You know what I mean? Like you study yeah. this shit and know it so well that I can bank on your channel to have that resource. Whereas you may post videos, like you said, like all the time and I might not have all the time in the world to watch every single video. So just because you post it and I'm a subscriber doesn't mean that I'm clicking and yeah. watching that video because you just make them more frequently or they're more specific. That's really interesting. Yeah. So when you work, have you, have you worked with like brands? Have you like collaborated with brands on your channel yet? Yeah, I've worked with a lot of, like a lot of brands. Uh, I'm just really specific on which what? ones I do. But yeah, like you, like, like you said, I, I would just consider myself like a photo and video editing software education channel. 
I do personally use the Adobe softwares, but hopefully everything I do is translatable. Like, right. Obviously, if you learn, I, I learned how to edit videos in Sony Vegas like 10 years ago. It mm-hmm. just translates though. Like if you know the concept of cutting and arranging. But yeah, I worked with brands. Uh, like I try to only work with a brand if it's mutually beneficial for all parties, like myself, the brand and the viewers. Cause I don't like to sell out my viewers for every stupid little thing. It gets emailed to me because like right. a lot of stupid stuff, as you probably know, gets emailed like, oh, here, take this free like knockoff tripod thing and <laughs> share you're it like, or whatever. No. You're like, no, I, I was interested <laughs> like when you, how now you're realizing this new strategy that you have, right? For how you treat your channel and how you view the content that you're uploading. Is that something that you have to kind of address I like for for instance with the podcast I realized that podcasts are a long play for a brand to invest in like they may not initially get a click into a link right but by us being constantly championing for whatever brand it is we're the ones that are backing a brand we're now the trusted source for that brand and we're kind of exercising in people's heads like hey this is x brand and this is why we like it and here's another conversation about how we found a way to use it in our lives and then at that time later down the road when you decide to buy whatever that is you're like oh yeah those guys over there at black window cream they they were telling me about that i'm gonna go check that product out because now i have money to buy it or whatever so in a deal it's weird because up front i can't tell you we're gonna sell your product right now but down the road you can't and it's almost similar like is it just awareness but like if you say like i'm gonna upload a video tomorrow but the awareness might not come in a large volume until two months from now randomly and there's no way to like predict it you know what i mean how do you how do you have to like is that part of like your strategy or do you have to communicate that to brands these are issues that i that you face when you're working with brands but i think that's one reason why i I'm lucky that I've been able to diversify enough so that I can just sell products directly to people and um, like have multiple different affiliate sources of income and stuff so that I don't always have to sell myself to brands because sometimes it is, sometimes you can't and they have to mutually understand. Uh, I think if a brand understands and they're in the same space, it's, it's easier to reach an agreement rather than if you're pitching, if you're pitching, you might have to pitch a lot of people, mm-hmm. but if they come to you, they might get it already. So if they get it already, it's better. But personally, I've worked with like Adobe, Amazon, like Amazon for some Twitch thing, and then GoPro and some other like random stuff. But actually a lot of those times, like half those times was me making content for their page. So it's been cool because I don't have to worry about the, uh, I don't have to worry about how many views it's going to get because it's on their page. They just like, want to use my like likeness. presence, like yeah, yeah, my likeness and my brand and like my like tr- people trust the real p- person. Right. No, that's dope. That makes sense. It's a it's an interesting time because it's just like everyone's channels produce different types of content at a different rate and attract different viewership. So even if it's something that may happen to get, you know, a thousand views out the, out the gate, you know what I mean? You're just like, shit, that's not, how do you sell a brand on that? But then to know that that video is going to trickle and create, you know, consistent viewership over the duration of the next year until, you know what I mean? Especially like for something, if you're talking about Photoshop and you're talking about Photoshop 2020, 
like by 20 tell, until 2021 technically that thing's going to have steam and then when 2021 comes out people will still reference 2020 because they still have something curious that someone hasn't made in 2021 you know what i mean so those videos have a lot of like power behind it i think brands are smart if they can realize that they're playing that long play game you know what i mean too because so many people just base shit off of metrics as like immediate like i need to know how many views it's going to get when you post it tomorrow and it's yeah. like nah you can't think of it like that and the other thing too First of all, yeah, I have videos that are like six years old that I still get comments on like, wow, this is like six years old, but it helped me today. That's crazy. And, and um, the other thing, like you said, is uh, like you never know what videos are going to blow up too. So with brands, it's also almost like sometimes they even get a better value than you mm. because like I have a buddy, um, his channel just recently blew up, Daniel Schiffer. Right, and he yeah. just quickly hit like over a million subscribers and I was mm-hmm. talking to him with some brand stuff um, and he was telling me like how he made some videos of some brands when his channel was at like maybe even under 100k and those brands got like a great value because like the, some of those videos got like millions of hits and they went super viral and they I don't know the deals of their contract but you know like obviously they were working with him as a smaller creator than now he's like a million sub creator. Right. So it's, yeah, you never, you never know the potential. I think it's all about reaching an agreement that's good for both of you, the brand and the person. But the other thing that you bring up with all this that we've been talking about subscribers and metrics and views, that's not even really what's important. What's mm. it's more like, what are you, what is the end goal that you're trying to get? Are you trying to run a business and actually sell a product? Cause in that case, like, you don't need subscribers. I mean, obviously it helps, but like you need sales. So it doesn't matter how many views it gets. Like what if you only get 10 views and sell a $10,000 life insurance policy or something, you know? (laughs) Right. What, what is the end goal for you currently? Like what, how, how are you strategizing that? I'm just trying to survive quarantine. (laughs) uh, Honestly, yeah, I, I love, being able to be lucky enough to do something creative and digital like this um, as a job. And so I have personal goals, like personally now, like I do want to hit a million subscribers, just like a milestone, but I'd rather get to a thousand uploads on my channel. Hmm. It's more, more something I can control. I'm at like 700 or something. Uh, So that would be cool. And then just like continuing to, meet new people, collaborate, like push my comfort zone. And other than that, I don't demand too much out of it because I already feel really lucky. So, I mean, a a lot of people I know are laid off right now or can't work. So it's kind of like, I, I don't take it for granted that I can still work and, uh, you know, maybe even help out family members or whatever, if they can't work for a few months. Have you, have you noticed like the viewership, go up at all in, in, in the past five weeks? Has, have you seen that as, as like a rise of people trying to take advantage of your tutorials now that they have maybe more time to be at home studying? I have seen viewership go up, but also I can't tell if it's just because I posted every day during the quarantine almost. Not every day, but I posted like 50 new videos in the past couple of months, Jesus which Christ. I hadn't posted. So I don't know if my viewership is up because I'm posting new videos or quarantine you can't really test that's the thing with a b testing it's like you can't take the variable of time Mm -hmm. out of it right 
Yeah, it's so interesting that, like, were you thinking of when you started your channel? Were you, did you care about metrics or had did you have like an in depth understanding of the metrics? Because it's so funny how the channel now operates based on like, obviously the quality of content and what you're distributing, but you start to learn like, oh, these types of videos hit a little harder than you know this, so I'm gonna lean yeah. into that. What what have you noticed hits harder? And also, yeah, have, did you start out being curious about analytics? I'm laughing because yeah, I'm like a, I'm like a robot when it comes to like analytics. <laughs> I have I always had like a natural inclination on how to like get viewership on an online platform. Like starting out with like online forum days, mm. you know, like forums. Yeah. So I mean, back I started editing editing video game stuff, and people who played all the video games would have their little clans, and they'd all have their forums. And then there would be other popular forums. Like there was no Reddit and Instagram and Facebook. And on these forums, there would always be different sections, like creative sections, share your artwork or like, you know, and I always just like seeing what kind of cool threads I could make that would get on the front page for a long time or like see how many views I could or how many, like how long I could make a thread. So, and then when I started YouTube, I really just enjoyed seeing like, how many clicks can I get on like this specific thing? Right. And I, I would make stupid stuff like uh, Drake's top 10 verses. So right. those, those would all get copyright striked. <laughs> and, but it was interesting because like I made one video one time. It was like Kanye West, like Illuminati oh, secrets. Exposed. Yeah. Yeah. I got mad views, right? <laughs> it was a complete troll by the way. Yeah. But I was just seeing like, do people actually click on this stuff? And it got mad views. <laughs> so I've always had like a, I've always had a talent for it. So it's kind of, it's interesting that now in 2020, it's like something everybody wants to do. So I can't tell if I just always had a talent for it and I got lucky or what, you know? Well, and it also feels like that's something that, uh, and sorry, there's a fucking back truck backing up. Us. I don't know if you can hear that. I'll mute my mic when I'm not talking, but it also, that's something that now it's so, it's definitely something that a lot of people who are getting into YouTube, like that's a trait that a lot of people just don't have or understand the power of flagging someone down in the scroll with a neat thumbnail or title that's going to really get you to click. Even us, like as we start getting into more YouTube content, I'm like trying to study and watch content about that. So from your experience, like what for someone who's out there that has a YouTube channel, what's a piece of advice you could give to someone and even suggest some of your videos that you think someone should start out watching, but what best piece of advice or practice could someone take when starting to create clickbaity thumbnails and titles? What, 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 what do you think? Okay. Well, I definitely don't like advocate for clickbaiting necessarily. And I don't even clickbait really. That was like way back. That was like 2009. Right. But like my stuff is you can always watch what people do rather than like what they'll tell you to do. If you're like good, if you have a good eye, you can always like see how Mr. Beast is like doing stuff or like whatever. But I just use the good old how to do this, how to do that. Like, and that's like long tail content. Um, but obviously having some Photoshop skills helps. Uh, I do have tutorials on like how to make thumbnails, how to, how to like, uh, even like how to now YouTube is changing too. like back in the days it would be tags 
And now if you look at the YouTube upload thing, they don't even have tags really. You have to click like advanced extra to put tabs. And they even tell you like tags don't really matter. Hmm. Now YouTube's algorithm is getting good to the point where they can see what's in the thumbnail. If there's a human face in there, if it's smiling or whatever. Um, so I've had the opportunity to upload, like I said, like 700 videos and that's like 700 attempts to see and measure what works. So I do kind of have a natural, like I know when Travis Scott puts out a new music video and I cover an effect from a Travis Scott music video and I put the title like Travis Scott sicko mode, like fire effect. And I have like Drake and Travis Scott in the thumbnail. Right. I know that's going to probably have a better chance to go more viral than like how to export or something. Right. But I mean, it really depends on your, the other thing too is like nobody, it's hard. It's YouTube is super difficult. Um, and you have to kind of, you have to try a lot of things at first and you have to kind of, uh, think about the audience more than yourself a little bit, or at least half and half. Like, right. like if you make a video, it's super hard as a new YouTuber to just make a video in a vlog style and, and title it something like we went to the concert or like having fun at the sh- at something like you have to think, why would somebody want to search this up and watch it? Mm. So maybe if you put like Travis Scott con like LA concert, whatever, like the name of some festival, uh, July vlog, then people would actually go looking that up because other Travis Scott fans might want to like check out that show. And then if you have a good personality and you're funny, they might check out your other stuff. And right. if you build a catalog in this way with a lot of like seeds, it might work. But Right. That's interesting. So it's, it's like really it's, understanding how people search and are, are cu- what curiosity is going to bring them to your video. Even like recommendations. It's not even because you can gear your channel towards search or like recommended, but it's about like what communities all these places on YouTube are different little mini communities, right? Like we have our little camera community and it's growing a lot. It's getting bigger, but there's also like the indie music community or like guitar playing community or like there's so many different communities. And if you're a regular viewer of a certain kind of content, you kind of start to get an understanding of what that's that space on the internet needs or likes. And if you want to step up to the table and, put your contribution out there. It helps if you've also been a part of that community right. for mm-hmm. a while, because then you're like, all right, I've been in this like scene for a, a while. I think let me make a video about this new thing, this new technique. And I know I would watch it from someone else. So maybe someone else would watch it from me. Right. You know? No, that's solid. I, um, yeah, I agree. I think that that's like one of the most challenging parts is like really understanding that world and how the world operates. And, I mean, we're doing it right now with Black Widow Cream. Um, before I, I mean, when you started a podcast, like, didn't you kind of like listen to podcasts and think like, what do I like to listen to? And you know, yeah, no, it is. But I think now, so like, we just decided to start transitioning the channel from just having long ass podcast episodes on there because no one really has time for that on YouTube. It's like we need more bite sized content. One would just be clipping 
highlights from the podcast, you know what I mean? And being able to pull those now, okay, like if we do that, what do those thumbnails look like? And we've always wanted to have an aesthetic, but can we, is it the wild, wild west? And now it's like those conversations, like, do we just try shit to try to get people to see it? You know what I mean? Like, how am I going to get them to see it? Uh, It's always, this is a challenge, but yeah, all this information is mad helpful. The, I know we've, we've gone on longer than I told you 25 minutes. (laughs) Oh no, I don't care. We can go on as long as you want. (laughs) I know. Um, (laughs) last thing, I I think two things actually one, you've had over, tell me how this feels. Your channel has had 78, over 78 million views on your face. You know what I mean? (laughs) No, no, it's actually almost. Well, none of my videos really have only like 10% of my videos have my face. Your my, voice. My voice and my name has been there. <laughs> How crazy is that, that there's some DJs out there for radio stations all around the, the world that probably haven't even hit that metric as far as 78 million people at least hearing their voice or hearing from them in one form or another. That's a fucking large number. That's crazy, right? It is really cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it. I find that really cool too. Um, like, that's the number of more that's the number that's cooler than subscribers even too right. it's like how many people have actually seen your stuff and i always like to think about it as like in terms of if i was a rapper and yeah. i think like that's like if i had like 70 songs that had a million views <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, that's like, like that's like playing multiple stadiums tours to to meet 78 million people like it would take years to do that many tours in stadiums bro like yeah that's nuts. Or like, that's like having a couple like hits, like not yeah. big hits, but like a couple like, little underground hits that got like yeah. 10 million views. Well, shit. Now the way Spotify, like, dude, if you could post videos on Spotify, somehow these people are getting dumb numbers monthly. Like, it doesn't even make sense to me. I'm like, how, how is someone listening to music that much? Like, this is unreal. Um, all right. Last question oh, yeah. for you, for people that are at home chilling, who are trying to kill some time. What piece of advice would you give to someone to take advantage of during this quarantine? Maybe um, to focus uh, on their craft as a creator a little bit more. Um, yeah, well, if you are listening to this and you're like a creative type, um, and if you do um, think, if you do, hopefully have like some free time. Uh, if you're not like have tons of obligations or whatever, like take care of all your obligations and and, and whatnot. If you do happen to have some free time, I mean, try to make the best of this time. Use use this time to study up or, or listen to something or brainstorm ideas or try something new with what you have around you. Um, like a, a lot of times it doesn't cost much to at least put an idea out there or uh, learn something new or, you know, read a little bit. I don't want to sound cliche, but obviously like make the best of this time because it's, we're, we're not gonna, when things open back up, I'm going outside. I'm sorry. <laughs> Shit's going to hit the fan, bro. I know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, for me, I've just been, might as well just post more videos and work more and not take it for granted because no, I can, cool. but right. get into some good habits. You know what it is? It takes like two weeks to build a habit or something. That's the number that you always hear. And I think that's true because this quarantine has been going on for like three weeks yeah. And now aren't your habits like a little different now? Now you're yeah. just like kind of bored and working. This and is like my and- favorite habit is I got this notebook and I've been knocking out all my to-do list on here. I literally just got it. So it's only three days deep, but yeah, I feel, nice. I, I feel one. like I've been training my, before it was like reminders on my computer and then that got dumb long and I wasn't taking care of it. And it's like long grass and, or a messy room. Like it just gets out of control. But now that I have my, this guy, I feel like you got one too. Is it the same one? 
Is from it Target? Rodia or something? Moleskine? I don't know. It's like one of exactly those, yeah. The same. Uh, but like having this, bro, I feel like I've been... I've been focusing more on like, I know where it's at. I pull it out and I try to make sure I put things I need done on there. I already crossed out talking to you while we were doing this. So, you know what I mean? It's helpful. Like these habits are, yeah, it's a great time to start learning some new habits. Definitely use your notes app if you're a content creator, because that's one thing we didn't touch on. Like, how do I come up with all these ideas and always have something to make for years and years and years is like when I get an idea, whether I'm watching a movie or just taking a walk, I write it down in my notes app on my phone and then when I actually go down and sit down to make a video, I have like 50 ideas and I'm like, uh, this one's all right. This one's, oh, let's do this one today or like whatever. This I just use for like schizophrenic, like <laughs> late night thoughts. <laughs> right. When you take, so when you go from your notes, what's the next step that you take? You, you have like a little quick blurb that you wrote to yourself. How do you expand on that to create your full video? Like where, where do you go from there? Is it like put it in a Google Docs and try to formulate your, your script or something or how do you do it? No, like my notes, like I'll read you right now. I, I, I have my notes set up in a couple of categories. Okay. Just like uh, I have a to-do list, which is like things that are like really near term to do. So I have on there like timestamp some of your videos. Like I want, YouTube's doing this new thing with timestamping. You should look into it where it's like for podcasts, if you have it timestamped, it'll like show on the player. I don't know okay. how it works exactly, right. but I think it'll like help with Google search. Right. So I want to like timestamp some of my more popular videos. I'm making a video about every effect in After Effects. Jesus. Um, like demonstrated <laughs> quickly. So do that. And then I'm talking to some sponsors. So I have to email them. And then I have another note section that's video ideas, which is usually just the title of a video. And I might make it so like I have a few like um, blinking effect tutorial, like maybe something like that or like... Uh, um, the tool, Premiere Pro toolbar explained videos. So like I have a bunch. I literally have like 50. Yeah. And, and like if sep- I, keeping them separate. Just they're so just, kind of- they're all in one note. They're in a video ideas note. And I just, they're all just like one sentence, like the title. And I so know say, in my head what it would be. Yeah. So say you see that title, then are you taking that and are you diving deeper into that? Like as far as writing goes, or are you just kind of starting to come up with your plan? Oh, the way I record personally is uh, once I have the title, I'll kind of just run through what the tutorial is going to be one time so it works. And then I don't have a script. I, I'm pretty good at this point. I, uh, I mean, I've practiced for years now. 700 that I can, I can speak. Uh, I can instruct and do that tutorial at the same time because I feel like that feels the most natural. Right. And I, and I just teach it straight through. And then I, I do mess up and cut, but I just cut those out in editing but I do think like if you have a good thumbnail and title in mind before you just make the video it it kind of sometimes helps yeah I've had some friends recommend that to me um all right cool I know I I could talk to you forever I know we'll do we'll do do more we'll do more we'll 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 pick a harder topic I still have to interview you (laughs) yeah let's do it are you still doing your podcast I still am but like it's it's just like I wrapped up a nice 30 episodes or something so I felt like that's a good Season three, let's take a hiatus. Yeah, sick. Um, all right, cool. I'll put links to everything in the description. Make sure to subscribe to his channel. And uh, anything else? Uh, no, thanks for coming on. Keep on doing what Ben tells you. <laughs> He's bringing some cool people on. <laughs> and uh, yeah, if you want, if you want to reach out to me with a question on anything I said, just hit me up on Instagram or Twitter or email. Boom. All right, thanks, bro.
All right, see ya. That is it for Justin O'Dee's show. Thank you, Justin, and the rest of our guests for coming on the show today. We appreciate you guys. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to. Show us some fucking love. I pre- I really need it. <laughs> I really need it, guys. Show me some love. I'm fucking over here crushing ass for the team, crushing ass for the squad, the creative squad out there, the creative community. We're putting in these hours. You hear me? Give myself a fucking DJ horn. Oh, I don't have it set up. It's all good. I'll do it right now. I'm done, guys. I really need to go to bed. I'm tired. I... I It's been a long day. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We'll see you in a few days. You bitch. bitch.